Luke chapter 18 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 18. We still do encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, even though we put scriptures up here. It's become a very, very bad habit to come to church without a Bible. Amen. And so, Luke 18. <clears throat> Waiting for his first orthodontist appointment, a 12-year-old boy is a bit nervous. and He was completing a patient questionnaire and apparently had high hopes of winning the dentist's favor. In the space-marked hobbies, he wrote swimming and flossing. Now that humorous story really does identify something in us all. How we all want to portray ourselves to others as better than we really are. And while this story may be harmless... When this element of human nature plays out in us to a deeper degree, it becomes a spiritual condition that is not good. In Proverbs 20, verse 6, it says, Most men will proclaim each their own goodness. This really is our problem. We tend to think too highly of ourselves. They tell us it's all about low self-esteem, but really it's the opposite. And there are two aspects to what I'm talking about tonight, which is self-righteousness. There are two aspects about this. One is moral superiority, or the other is confidence in your own goodness or righteousness. So I want to preach a sermon called The Righteousness That Fails. And I want to preach it out of a parable in Luke chapter 18. I want you to open your hearts because this is a, is, there's a trace of this in all of us. It's true by human nature. None of us will escape having to deal with this in some level or another. And what I hope you can do is identify it in your life and keep it in check tonight. So let's read Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. <clears throat> Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So I want to preach on the righteousness that fails. And I want to first consider this, in this parable, an examination of our hearts. So examining our hearts. So Jesus spoke this parable for all that would hear it. And his parables were meant to present to us a scenario in which we would have to determine where we fit. That's where to, That's the reason... Most of his parables had multiple people in them. Who are you in the parable? Or, 
or determining who we have the tendency towards in the parable. One man is a religious Pharisee. The other is a despised tax collector. And one of the things that stands out is how the Pharisee compared himself to this lowly tax collector. And he came out in his mind shining like a star filled with righteousness. I mean, no, it's always easy to find somebody in life that we can compare ourselves to and look better than. And that's human nature. And so this Pharisee goes through the list of his spiritual resume. And he begins to present how he fasts and he tithes. And he's very sure to point out, and I'm not like other men. And he begins to speak about things like extortion and adultery. And then we're introduced to a tax collector. He has spent his life using people, ripping people off. And he would not as much as raise his eyes towards heaven out of the shame that was associated with his past life. And the contrast is very clear. It's pride versus humility. And so this is presented to you and I. So that we would first examine our hearts. Well, where do we fall in this? And the picture is painted pretty clearly. That we can either find ourselves looking down on people in comparison to ourselves. We can tend to think that we are filled with all of this goodness based upon our religious resume. Or we're humble and broken in knowing what we are before a holy God, which produces compassion and mercy towards others, which was missing, and we're going to get to that a little more in depth, was missing in this Pharisee, compassion and mercy towards others. But let's remember for a moment where our comparison really is. And I tell sinners this, you know, when you quote the scripture in the Bible, it will all have sinned and fallen short of God. Well, the reason that is, you know, if I was comparing myself to another person, that wouldn't be true. But the comparison isn't with one another. The comparison is between us and a holy and a perfect God. And guess what? We fail every single time. And this is what Jesus is trying to get to his attention and the Pharisees' attention of the day. Look, you're, you're comparing yourself uh, blindly, by the way, because they were filled with their own problems. But how about you compare yourself to the one holy, true, and perfect God? So we must carefully and continually examine our hearts when it comes to this topic of self-righteousness. Now, before you dismiss it, ah, not for me. Hold your horses and let me finish the sermon. Now, let me first give you a full definition of self-righteousness. It is a feeling or display of moral superiority, narrow-minded, moralistic, intolerant of the opinions and behaviors of others. Now, That's purely a secular definition. Okay? 
It's found in the dictionary. And while I would probably have to put in some balances in there based on that, let me just say this. It does nail down some of what Jesus is making a point about in this parable. So Jesus made a warning. It's found in Matthew 5.20. I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So that, you know, any time that Jesus says something will keep you out of heaven, perk up. Everything in you ought to be focused on that. Wait, that'll keep me out of heaven. And what he's saying is the Pharisees were well known for all of their outward religious practices, but Jesus also knew them as a people that did not have compassion on others. They were not truly concerned about the redemption of those that they looked down upon in their religious pride. And Jesus said that type of attitude gets you kicked out of heaven. That's pretty deep. Jesus speaks again in Matthew 9, 10 through 13. It happened as Jesus sat at the table of the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came, sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those that are sick. But listen to what he says. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, they could not process that the very people that they looked down upon, Jesus actually reached out and ministered to. They couldn't, this just didn't settle well with them. Because of their self-exalted view and their spiritual pride... And the Pharisees did not look at people redemptively. And I want you to first let that capture your attention. I want you to process that. Do you view people redemptively? And this was their arrogance that Jesus is presenting in our parable that causes you and I to have to examine our hearts in this critical area. The problem is that Jesus said this for the sake of the Pharisees. And instead of repenting and seeing they're wrong, they got angry and looked to crucify the one that was exposing them. And that's unfortunately the risk you take with a sermon like this. Oftentimes the real self-righteous don't see it because they're so self-righteous. But you have to stop. If you're a Christian of any level at all, you have to stop. And say, hold on a second, this could be true of my life. This could be something that's in me, even in a smaller level. And so I want you to consider that as I go secondly to the fruit of self-righteousness. So Jesus paints a very clear picture of each of these men in our parable. Now we want to focus for a moment on the Pharisee. Now this parable was spoken to the Pharisees. So that they could see something about themselves that was very displeasing to God. So here they are. You know, wouldn't you want that? 
If you're going about your business and you feel everything's good and you're great with God, but God sees something really displeasing, wouldn't you want something to be pointed out? That's all he was doing here. So Jesus begins this whole thing in verse 9. He says, and he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now, self-righteousness is rooted in pride, which we all have, by the way. And it is an enemy against redemption. So this Pharisee looks at himself. He sees all of his deeds and religious commitments to things like fasting and tithing. And he doesn't see the wrong in his life. He doesn't even register this whole thought about go and learn what it means to have mercy. And this whole idea of humbling yourself so you can be. didn't even register. He just sees his religious deeds and feels like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm amazing. The Bible says that Jesus spoke this because they despised others. So here's the thing. Your faithfulness and commitment is nullified if you don't learn how to love others and treat others correctly and redemptively. That's worth saying a second time. That our faithfulness and commitment is nullified if we don't learn how to love others, treat others correctly and redemptively, because self-righteousness is an enemy of redemption. So I want to point out five fruits that are associated with self-righteousness. The first of those would have to begin with pride. We all have pride, but do we all see our pride? That's a hard one. In our parable, this Pharisee has a bloated view of himself. And pride always does what this Pharisee is doing. Comparing himself to someone else, seeing all the flaws in that person, and then singing their own praises. That's what pride does. Pride has no problem seeing flaws in other people whatsoever. And let me just give a little quick throw out their note, careful as we as parents, that we are not feeding this in our children by doing nothing but singing their praises, coming to their defense at every accusation, and believing 100% of their version of the story. Because you will produce self-righteous kids by feeding their pride. The problem with pride is it blinds us to our failures and faults and causes us to see nothing but the failures and faults of others. Okay, I carefully phrased that because that's an identity point right there for you to begin to gauge yourself with. Even if it's a lesser level. The second fruit that is associated with self-righteousness is the tendency to despise others. Now, Jesus uses this word. It's a really harsh English word. It means to detest, hate, 
loathe, can't stand, have no tolerance for. Oh, no, not around here. We love everybody. Oh, really? Now, this is not something we have for everyone, but it is something we can feel towards some. And the problem with it is it kills a redemptive heart. And what this turns into as an ongoing process is slander and gossip. Nasty, ugly slander and gossip. Those that you despise or have no tolerance for become the aim of your words that you then solicit others into the same mind in order to justify your behavior. I just want to make sure that one gets out there. And you'll tear down those that you have no tolerance for and do nothing to try to see God help them, change them, and redeem them. You have no desire to invest in them. Those are the ones I'm talking about in your life. I'm not talking about all those you get along with. But don't hide behind those. Because even if you have one that you do this to, you're wrong. You're wrong. Can I say that again? You're wrong. (laughs) The third fruit of self-righteousness is legalism. They go hand in hand. Nothing could get past the legalistic Pharisees. Every sin was judged. Every fault was pointed out. Every weakness in someone was exploited as an opportunity to demean, to put down, to point out failure, or to use as a means to cover their own sin. Now, legalism is based upon the law. There was a law in the Bible, in the Old Testament of the Bible. It didn't become obsolete when Jesus came. He just came and fulfilled it under grace. But legalism is based on the law. So the law of the Old Testament, it spelled everything out. And some people, they can't function without everything just being black and white. Well, it doesn't work that way. Welcome to the age of grace. And so so the, the law spelled everything out. It had a judgment or an action for everything people did. And it was very, very strict. And there was no mercy to the law. God folded in parts of mercy and grace in it. As you read it, you can tell. But if you broke the law and it said you die, guess what? There was, you, you were dead. There was no way around it. Well, in the New Testament, if you take that type of approach, it's called legalism. Doesn't mean we don't judge sin. Doesn't mean we don't call things what they are. That's not what I'm talking about. But hear me out. Romans 2.17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. He's talking to them. They were hard on people. They judged their every action or reaction. People couldn't get away with anything. They looked at you wrong. You thought they're all jacked up. They're all backslidden. They were like today's Supreme Court. Instead of upholding the law, they just added to it and injected their own views. It's what we do all the time. 
And this was an oppression to the people, which he then told them in Matthew 9.13, so go and learn what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You need to learn how to treat people is what he was saying. You need to learn how to have some compassion on people. Have some mercy on people. Everything's always so cut and dry, so clear cut in your eyes. If you call them carnal by God, they're carnal. Away with those carnal no goods. Get them out of my presence. Just by you doing that shows how carnal you really are. See, legalists are fault finders. They don't know how to show grace to people that have failed in their eyes. They become the church police, thinking they're helping, but they're actually hurting the gospel cause. More of my job is picking up behind the church police and trying to put things back together than anything else, by the way. I know you're out there. You're just not wearing your badge today. The fourth fruit associated with self-righteousness is when you start placing labels on people. In our parable, this Pharisee says, I thank God I'm not like this tax collector. Now, never mind that this tax collector is broken before God. You have to be very careful the labels you seek to impose on people. Oh, they're just carnal. They're just rebels. They are, and fill in the blank. And you know, even if it's true, let me ask you a question. How much are you praying for them so God will help them and change them? How much are you looking for opportunities to minister to them and impart to them rather than just look at them as the scum of the earth? Because in your eyes, they're a distaste and they don't measure up to how awesome you are, how amazing you are. Incredible you are. Why don't you just come up here and take the pulpit? The truth is that a lot of our labors labels are just that, our labels. Doesn't mean we can't identify carnality in people or wrong behavior, absolutely. But think about what Jesus said when you're doing it. Matthew five, twenty two and twenty three. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, or you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, these were heavy labels that they placed on people, and they were, I can't go into the whole, read William Barclay on it, it'll clear you up, but Jesus was cautioning against placing certain labels on people because when you do this, something in your heart goes sour and now you're the one in danger of judgment. Amen. And the fifth thing that is associated with self-righteousness is self-righteous judgment. Now let me say this about judgment. We believe that we can pass judgment on people. I know that ruffles some feathers. But all judgment is with redemption in mind. 
If your judgment isn't done to help, to redeem, to hopefully bring repentance, then your judgment should not be passed. It's not right. And in Romans 2, Paul deals with self-righteous judgment and that people were throwing at each other. And he deals with them about how they were judging without redemption. But he also deals with how they were judging hypocritically. Because some of, you know, it's true. Some of what we see in someone else, it may be absolutely true. But the problem is we're deflecting it in us by pointing it out on them. And that's what they were doing. So he calls them on the carpet. You're judging, but you're judging in this way. And then listen to what he says. Right in the middle of it. Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. You know, our judgment can be so final. It can be so harsh. Do you consider the goodness of God? Do you consider the patience that God has with people when you've totally lost it and wrote them off and kicked them to the curb? Or because they offended you, you're going to hate on them the rest of you. You might get that shirt. Haters going to hate and just wear it. (laughs) Identify yourself. Stand up and be counted. Don't forget it's God's goodness and patience towards us and towards those that you despise that leads people to repentance and self-righteous judging of people forgets that. It doesn't consider that. And that's why Paul was saying, what, you you don't like the goodness of God? Because God's not as final as you are. You know, it's already scary enough that people are going to stand before God's throne and it will be final. But God's not that final on earth as you think he is. He's trying to redeem people, save people, change people. No matter how long they may have sat there and, 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 and just been stuck in their mode. You know what? God's still reaching out to them. Are you? Well, I thank God I'm not like this lowly tax collector. And you and your cronies that you've recruited walk through the church in your air of superiority being the fruits of criticism and gossip and slander, tearing down anyone that doesn't live up to your perfect little world. So let's close. You say, please. And let's talk about embracing humility. Because Jesus' ultimate point is verse 14. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. The ultimate purpose of this is to point us towards Humility. I remember one time I was standing on the stage. Renee Barra was here and he just pulls me aside. And you know how he does it. He looks at you. And he's kind of squinting, looking in your eyes. He says, have you ever thought about when he says, humble yourself? How do you humble yourself? He looks at me and he wants an answer right then. Well, look, let's, let's think about it. <laughs> think about it. He says, humble yourself. So that means that we have a part in humility playing out in our lives or not. But humility begins by remembering Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. 
They have together become unprofitable. There is none good, no one that does good, not one. There you go. Just crest your whole utopian view of yourself. But that's where humility begins, remembering that. That doesn't mean the worm mentality. and It just means we always remember that's, that's where we are. That's where we're at. We need the grace of God. And any righteousness or goodness that we have is because of Christ. It's not by anything we do or can do. It's not by the works of righteousness, but by his blood alone. And let me say that God is not impressed with how many scriptures you have memorized. He's more interested in whether you live those scriptures out. I'm all for, hey, get that word of God in you, remember it, but are you living them? It's a whole other thing. It's one of the things we do to the kids in boot camp is we give them all these scriptures out and they memorize them all. And then it throws them off when you say, and what does that mean? I just memorized it. I don't know. Didn't even consider it. God's more interested in whether you live those out and treat others with love and respect and kindness and a redemptive heart, even those that rub you wrong, even those that you have personality conflicts with. Can you hear me, girls? All these personality conflicts among girls. What the heck? I mean, come on, girls. Get over yourself. Really? Anyway. I'll never totally figure it out. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. Likewise, you younger people. That means you younger people. Submit yourselves to your elders. That means us elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. If you want grace, then you have to show grace to others and not just those that you choose to show it to. Humility is all about others. Self-righteousness is all about you. Humility does not seek promotion by means of putting others down. Hey. Whoever said it was easy to be a Christian? It's better to be a Christian, but I don't know about this easy stuff. Humility wants people to recognize Christ in us, not us and our accomplishments. Some scriptures to think about. Proverbs 27.2 Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. In Matthew chapter 6, 2 and 3, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't go sounding the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say, they have their reward. You know, humility is all about others and not about ourselves that we're ultimately looking for Christ to get the attention and the glory and others to be the focus. It's not so simple, is it? I asked myself how many I failed that. How many times did I fail that in the last week? <laughs> Too many. 
And in the end, we always remember who we are, that we are saved by grace. We are all sinners afforded forgiveness. And God wants to make us all instruments of his redemption. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ or any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one accord of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than yourself. Let each of you look not only for your own interest, but the interests of others. And the operative word is all. One accord, one mind. Not for your choosing. Not with just the people that you decide to. And I'm going to really break through in my life. And I'm going to identify the pockets of self-righteousness that have produced the legalism, that have produced the pride, that have produced the tendency to despise others, that has produced me putting labels on people and then spreading those labels around to other people, which is wrong, by the way. It's called gossip and slander. It's wrong. It's wrong for you to have a beef with someone and to draw somebody else into that and all you do is tell them the one side and spew on them and then you infect them and now everyone looks at them different. That's wrong. That is unrighteous. If somebody's doing that to you, you need to call their shot. Hmm. And embrace humility. God will be glorified. Can you say amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Oh, God, help us. Help us open our blinded eyes, Lord. God, let humility prevail tonight in Jesus' name. You may be here tonight, and you're not right with God. And what I just preached is what makes the world go around. That's the way people act out there. It's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's feuds and hate and all sorts of nonsense. The best this world has, man. But I'll tell you what, you come to Christ and something begins to break and God changes something in you and those things begin to go away. And the love of God replaces that. And forgiveness replaces that. And healing in your mind and your heart replaces that. And you're here tonight and, and you know that you need Jesus Christ because I can't fulfill any of the things you just talked about. They're where I fail every single day. But see, God is here to help you tonight. But the thing about it is, this isn't about joining a religion or reciting some creed. It's about surrendering your heart, giving your entire life over to Jesus Christ. And it begins by repenting of your sin. God, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. You know, before anything else, it's, it's about God. It's about Jesus. And you're here tonight and you, you realize, you know what? I, I am a sinner and I have fallen short of God. What, what hope is there? Well, here's the hope. That when you come to Christ, that blood that he shed covers you. 
The Bible says he becomes a substitute. Where you would have stood judgment and been judged to hell, Jesus will step into your place on that day and say, no, this one's mine. He's covered. He lived for me. That's what we need. It's not by what good deed we're going to do. We're going to go and help people and be good people. That doesn't exist. There's none good. No, not one. Not outside of Christ. Not good enough to get to heaven anyway. So you'd say, okay. Then I'll give my life to Jesus. And if that's you, I would like to pray with you and lead you to Christ as your Lord and Savior tonight. And you'd say, that's me. Pray with me. I want to ask you to do something. Just put your hand up so I can see it. As soon as I see that, I'll let you know and you can put it down. But you're ready to get right with God tonight. You're ready to align your heart with a holy and a righteous God in whom you fall short of. And you realize that tonight. But God is waiting on you. He's calling you to himself. You say, you know what, Pastor Baglisi, that's what I want. That's what I need. I'm ready to live for God. Would you lift your hand up? That's me. Pray for me tonight. Who would that be? Thank you. Others here. God bless you. Who else? God is dealing with you tonight. God bless you. Who else? Others here. God bless you. God bless you. Who else? God bless you here. Who else? God is dealing with you tonight. It's time to come to Christ. You can put those hands down. Thank you very much. I've relied on my own righteousness. I've, I've lived my life tearing others down because who I really am. And tonight I'm ready to go on record. This is who I am, Lord. And I'm ready to repent of who I am. And who would that be? God's dealing with you right now. Come to Christ. You can get right tonight. You don't have to keep living that way. Because you're, you're, you're facing the danger of judgment. Listen. But God wants to remove that from you. And you, you're here. You're not right. You're ready to get right. You'd slip your hand up. I'm not right. I'm backslidden. I'm ready to come to Christ. Who else with these honest hearts? Who would that be all across this place tonight? God's dealing with you. Okay, you lifted your hands. Each one of you looking at me eye to eye. Did you mean that? You meant that here? You meant that here? I believe you did. God bless you. You meant that? We're going to have some come with you. I want you to come meet me at this altar tonight. We're going to pray with you. God's going to help you. Just come. We have people coming. They're going to meet with you. God's going to help you tonight. Okay, this is the moment that begins the change of your life right here. This is the moment that begins to rearrange things in your heart that you haven't been able to do on your own. God is going to meet with you. I need to make sure a brother right here. Everyone covered. God bless. Listen, church. We have to say, where do I fit in this parable? What tendencies are showing in my life? And hey. It's in all of us. We just have to subdue it. We have to keep that right heart. Even when we are judging and we have to. And part of what it does requires that. God help me to do it with a redemptive heart. God help me to see people in light of what they can be. Not what I perceive they are. Some of you, you just have issues. Issues of jealousy in your life. So you'll pick apart anybody that's a rival to you. You'll pick them apart. Well, you know what? That's unrighteous. You may be as faithful as they come. You may be Mr. or Mrs. Faithful, but that's unrighteous. But I'll tell you what, if you'll bring it to this altar and say, God, forgive me, I'm sorry. And for some of you, it's going to require that you get up and you go and you mend some relationships that you've trashed because of this. 
some people that you've diverted from other relationships in your life. You're going to get up from the altar and say, you know what, I'm going to make that right. God will help you. Say, God will meet with you. Look, none of us are perfect in this. I mean, the, the thing about being a preacher, it's not like we don't deal with these. We just get to deal with them before we get up and preach them because we're putting it together. But God is dealing with hearts about a lot of things tonight. We're going to come. I'm asking you to stand. If there's somebody around you you don't know, introduce yourself. Witness to them. See if they want to pray. Otherwise, we're coming to the altar. And we're going to lay this down before God. We're going to open our hearts. Whatever it is. You may, you, may, you may feel just totally tore apart tonight. Look, there's grace at this altar. Even as hard as Jesus was on the Pharisees, He would have embraced Him in a heartbeat if they would have repented. In a heartbeat. We have to root this out of our lives. And it's a lifelong thing. Just when I think I've conquered it, I find myself, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't want to view people that way. I don't want to find myself talking about people that way. I don't want to sway other people's opinion of people they don't even know just because I have an issue with them. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I'm sorry. And God will help you. God, have access to our hearts tonight, Lord. Oh, Lord, let there be humility that would birth forth within us in this place. Birth forth, Lord. Humility and brokenness, my God. God, visit our hearts tonight, Lord. Teach us humility, God. Clothe us in humility. Fill us with your compassion. Teach us your mercy. Skill us in your redemption, Lord. Oh, God, help us to identify these traits. God, help us to see beyond our own pride, Lord. God, help us to see where we may have torn down and left somebody hopeless. And God, you would help us to fix that tonight. We would not put labels on people. That we would not function the church police, but God, you'll help us that we're functioning as an arm of your redemption, whatever that entails. I'll tell you what, it'll go a long way in your ability to speak hard truths to people if you do it with grace. Because there are times you're going to have to tell people things that are hard and even sometimes a little harsh. But you know, when you do it with love and you do it with grace, that's what the Bible says, that you speak the truth in love. It goes a long way. And you got to understand where I'm coming from because early on in my salvation, it was planted very deep in me. And I don't think it was done on purpose. It was just kind of the culture of things back then. If somebody backslides, every time you see him, you just jack him up. And that's what we learned. And so we'd see a backslide in the street and we'd just jack him up. No wonder why we didn't see a lot of backsliders coming back because we we're always jacking them up. Well, I don't subscribe to that today. And I repented of it. Because I saw the bad fruit of it in my life. 
We thought discipleship was all just about ripping people. Just rip them. Just rip them. You know, there are times you have to do that, but you better be sure you do it with the right heart. But most of the time, it's not that. But that's in us. That's in us. And if we're not careful, it turns into this self-righteousness. And while we're seeing everybody else's faults and everybody else's failures, we're missing our own. The beam in your own eye, but you... All you can see is the speck in another's. God help us. And listen, I have been down that road. It is not a nice road. I don't like that road. I don't like the person I am when I'm on that road at all. And you shouldn't either. And this altar is a place just to ask for forgiveness and begin to undo that in your life. And God will help you. We're going to stand. We're going to lift our hands and sing this song right at the altar. Don't go back to your seat. I want you to touch heaven, and I want you to resolve this tonight. Uh, as we worship Him together, just touch heaven tonight as we sing in worship. Uh, oh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. With a humble heart I come, bowing down. of your mercy, God, your grace, your long-suffering, Lord. We worship you tonight. Hallelujah, Lord and Savior, wonderful God. You alone are worthy, O oh God, worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Thank God. Amen. That's the righteousness that fails. But let us be a righteous people that pleases God. And listen, this is a, a, a lifelong process. You, you'll, you'll make strides in it. Many of you can attest to that in your own life. You can attest to what I just said about myself, especially early on. But it always tries to come back. And the devil always throws a different twist at you in a different way. At the end of the day, you know what? Let's really contend it. Keep the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God alive in all that we do. And it will make us so much more effective. And it will keep you free. And it will keep you out of the danger zone of your own judgment. Amen. And so let's go. Let's love one another. Let's mend whatever you got to mend. And let's go on and do the work of God and rejoice. Amen. We're going to have a great weekend. Don't forget uh, Spanish service. No Bible studies. And then we have a 10 o'clock prayer, 11 o'clock outreach Saturday. The edge back in church Sunday. Amen. Let's rejoice. God is so good. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. We're dismissing. Kevin Alexander is lifting his voice and dismissing us tonight.